Hey everybody, it's Big Daddy. So once again, uh, we're here at Big Daddy and Friends. And you know what? This next guest, I, I have to say, everyone wants to know where I started my business, uh, I guess, building or networking or, you know, career idea. Well, our next guest happens to be one of the guys who I would say from day one when I decided to get into this world of sports without having to put on uh, any equipment any longer, uh, he kind of saw the whole thing from the day one. So, uh, And it's my honor and pleasure to welcome my uh, longtime friend, Steeler great and legend, Merrill Hodge. What's up, Hodge? <laughs> Big Daddy. It's good to see you, my brother. Good to see yeah. you. I mean, just seeing you right now, like uh, – even before we started, the memories that were flashing through my head, I mean, they were like, wow, it seems like it was just yesterday, you know? Yeah, it does, man. I, uh, I think the first time I, I met you, I went over to OD's uh, apartment, and you were at his, You guys were living together in that yep. apartment um, right over off McKnight Road. I can't remember the exact name. Of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy, brother. <laughs> right above uh, the North Park Lounge. Yep, yep, right over there. Now, now, if you went over there, if you, I'm sure it's been a while since you've been back there. It is completely changed. I mean, how it's developed over there is incredible. Yeah, I was. Uh, I I happened to be back there uh, a couple of years ago for uh, the Penguins won the Stanley Cup, and uh, Bill Garrett invited me out to his house for his uh, Stanley Cup party. And, you know, I remember we would only go as far as, like, North Allegheny High School, and then there was, like, nothing there. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, I go back there and I'm like, wow, like, you know, North Hills was not the last stop. It was kept going and going and going. And, you know, the Penguins facility is out there and, uh, you know, just night and day, night and day, how that city's uh, grown and uh, expanded, you know, within the years. So, um, but anyway, so listen, let's, uh, you know, let's give a little, let's do a little history uh uh, session here uh, just for all the fans you know Merrill Hodge played uh, eight years in the NFL you know he played with the Steelers and he played with the Bears and uh, you know we're going to get into some good stories but uh, I I'll tell you it was funny I'm watching you play uh, the year before I got to Pittsburgh and you guys were playing down in Houston and here I am watching you and you guys go down there and you beat them and uh, then all of a sudden you're in the AFC Championship game and then I'm watching you against Denver and unfortunately you guys fell short. I thought really that was the year that you guys were really going to uh, go to the next you know game, the Super Bowl and whatnot. And then the following year, here I am hanging out with you. So it was kind of like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, well, well, I, that's I understand that, how surreal that can be. You know, when I was a kid, my favorite team was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I loved them. Um, you know, I watched every game. You know, back then, you know, you had three channels, you know. Yeah. It isn't like, it isn't like, it ain't like today where you have all this, you know, these resources. So, you know, Monday night and Super Bowls were, you know, the primetime games and the main games and the Steelers were always in those and always winning them. Um, but I loved the team. I loved all, everybody about them. So, you know, I get drafted by him. I mean, shoot. I mean, Chuck Knoll's still the head coach. Um, I, they give me uh, – I'm in Franco Harris's locker. Um, so, I was in 
that, that was my locker. I was sitting right next to Donnie Shell. First time I my web my first roommate was Mike Webster. Uh, Joe Green was still uh, was still around. He was our defensive line coach. Um, John Stallworth was still playing. You know, I stepped in the huddle for the first time. I looked at Mike Webster and John Stallworth, and I'm like, "So you talk about surreal?" I, I get that. You know, you go from watching them on television for decades, and then you're in the huddle with them. It was, uh, it was, it was something. The first couple of weeks. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, uh, you know, it's kind of funny being around that those years. You know, you kind of me being a big guy. It's like all of a sudden everyone thinks you're on the team. You know, you're like filling in. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I remember in the old Three River Stadium, just being able to walk in. You know, through the uh, six side door there, and you know, you just wave to the guy. And they're like, "Hey, what's up, Big Daddy?" And you just keep walking all the way through. And uh, I would uh, while you guys were doing whatever, I'd sit in the back in the equipment room with our friend Tony Parisi there. And, uh, you know, listen to him complain and grumble about everything that was going on. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, you walk in that locker room and you're like, wow, there's Tunch Ilkin, you know, and, uh, you know, there's Greg Lloyd and, and, and this one and so on and so on. It's just like, wow, you know, you don't get I, I never got starstruck, but, you know, you had to say, wow, you're in a room with a lot of greatness, you know, and, and I always look at every professional athlete. If you get to that point. You deserve all the credit in the world, and and you know people should understand that you've come a long way to get there, and it's not easy, and it's a lot of work, and you know you know better than anybody how hard it is. Well, you, you're right, Daddy, Big Daddy. They, uh, you know, you look at the numbers. You know, roughly, you know, when I speak to NFL groups and NFL players, I try to always create a perspective that they may have lost, and it's easy to to lose it when you you start and you start playing at that level, but you know, roughly five million kids start out playing, you know, football with in, in some version, you know, flag tackle. Um, but then only about eighteen hundred. I mean, one hundred eighty thousand. I think it's one hundred eighty thousand. I can't remember the exact number, but roughly one hundred some thousand kids get scholarships in, throughout the entire country. And then there's only about nineteen hundred NFL players. Mm-hmm. So I mean, when you think of those numbers and and the select few that get to play in the National Football League, um, you know, you just try to draw the perspective and their attention to how what an opportunity it is and a rare opportunity it is to to play at that level. And, you know, and it doesn't last forever. I mean, Chuck Noll was great at talking about your life's work. I remember hearing, you know, about your life's work. It's not football. And I remember my rookie year and I was like, what do you mean it's not my life's work? I'm like, I'm going to be here forever. <laughs> there's obviously somebody a little wiser than me but um it was so true you know as long as you know as tom brady's run is the most incredible in football history um and he's still gonna retire in his 40s yeah. you know i mean you know his 40s so you know that there's you know got to have other things in your life but capitalize on that opportunity is what he was um stressing to us and um couldn't be more true you know and people that do that and uh, players that do that have an easier transition and than some do uh you know what's so funny is uh chuck Knoll. i remember one time i was in the uh weight room and with od with neil and chuck Knoll <laughs> out of nowhere walks in and just looks at neil and goes hey uh I knew a quarterback that uh, worked his way out of the league. 
(laughs) And he turned around and walked out. I think Neil dropped the weights and was like, Daddy, let's go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Chuck was, you know, OD. Neil Donald was, I mean, I mean, he was strong. I mean, he upper yeah. body wise. I mean, he, I don't think he ever squatted in his life. I never saw him squat. You know, I used to bust. He attempt, he, he he did it, but did uh, he attempt? Did he attempt one thirty five five? Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, okay. He got but he, he range of motion, but that was right. about. Me, meanwhile, he could bench like four hundred five. I remember we, were, you know, we were in the speaking of Chuck. Chuck, I wasn't the only time Chuck did it. He he walked by one time, and Neil had just done four hundred five. I think he just done a four hundred five kind of spotting. And uh, Chuck walked by and saw that. And he goes, "You better get out of here." He goes, "He goes, keep you keep staying in this room. You're gonna be work. You're gonna work your way right out of this room. <laughs> he goes, you're gonna lift your way right." Like I said, "You're gonna lift your way right out of the league." And then he walked right by. He goes, "There's no reason somebody should be doing 405 as a as a quarterback." But he was, he was strong. I mean, like I couldn't do 405. I still I go, "Listen, how do you like this?" I go, "The guy protecting you can't even bench 405." <laughs> <laughs> I go, wait, I go, what my point was, that's how irrelevant it is. I mean, yeah. benching is, is irrelevant. I always cracks me up when I see the combine test. I mean, there is zero relevance to that, to playing in, especially the position and the, 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 the parallel position you're laying down. You're daddy, you played in the trenches. I mean, did you want to be laying on your back doing this? I mean, what technique is that? That is, there's no technique in that. And, and these hands. Is you're pushing someone off you because they put right. you on your ass. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, that That doesn't even give you any sense of football skill. It gives you zero. It tells you how much you can bench. That yeah. doesn't tell you anything about football. Cracks me up. I mean, if they wanted to do a real good test, shoot, do 225 and then do do a squat. You know, I mean, see how many times you can do a squat. That That's a greater uh, example of the power that you want to see on a football feet, feet, hips, hands. That's what I want to see. I want to see somebody lay on their back, bench pressing, irrelevant to football. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you're definitely uh, you're definitely hitting it there because the squat, you know, that's a whole overall body exercise. Best you know? exercise is do, doing it right. Doing it right, you know. I mean, some people do it incorrect and they try to do too much weight, you know. But done right. And done properly, it is the greatest exercise there is for your really your overall strength, your core strength, your feet, your your hips and your legs, mm-hmm. your back. I mean, it's just an overall um, body exercise. Nothing can replace that. Remember the hip sled? Remember when Nebraska? Mm-hmm. This is a great history. Uh, because I was in college and I remember uh, Nebraska won the national championship, and everybody talked about they did the hip sled and all their offensive linemen they could do a thousand pounds, over a thousand mm-hmm. pounds. And so everybody thought translated hip sled into winning a national championship. Well, I mean, I remember we, we they, our Idaho State converted everything to the hip sled. We do the hip sled for, I mean, a majority of my career, I don't even squat. I remember my senior year, um, there was 135 on the, it was my leg day, and I was, I was done. And I looked over, and there was 135 on the squat. I hadn't squatted in years. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to try. I'm going to do 135, just do a couple sets of 10, which I did. Mm-hmm. I leave. I get up the next morning. I get out of bed, Daddy, and I'm like, what happened? I'm like, my leg, my all my, my, my butt hurt, my inside, my legs hurt. I'm like, what, <laughs> yeah. what, what happened? I'm like, what did I do? And I start to, oh, my gosh, okay. That 135, two sets of 10 had challenged stability muscles that the hip sled never did. It worked me in a way 
a hip sled and I was doing eight, 900 pounds, right? I'm like, never did hip sled again. Never did it again. Have been devoted to squats ever since then. And now, you know, you hardly ever see hip sled anywhere in college football now. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny when I went to Maryland, you know, I, here I was, oh, I could do about 315 or maybe on the bench press. So when I go to do squats, I was struggling with 135. And the strength coach, um, well, Ralph Friedgen, who was uh, my position coach who recruited me to Maryland, he saw that I was struggling with that. He said to me, he goes, you know what? Starting tomorrow, I want you to come in here walking on your hands. And I go, what is that? What, what do you mean by that? And he goes, that's embarrassing, son. He goes, you better, you better sleep under that squat rack. And uh, I was like, wow. You know, and I took that to heart. And the strength coach of Maryland, his name was Frank Costello. And Frank, you know, him and along with uh, the other guys that worked there, uh, I was able to leave Maryland squatting 605. Hmm. You know, that's not chum change, baby. That's not yeah. chum change. No, that was uh, – I'd never forget. I felt like I was carrying four of me when that was on my back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I know those – you know, those long, hard days of leg drive and push. And and then, you know, the funniest thing is, you know, here I am now in Pittsburgh, going back to Pittsburgh. I start working out with Terry Long. You know, I'm over at Gold's Gym in North Hills, and, and uh, I meet Terry one day at practice, and then all of a sudden – you know, he's like, and then I see him in the gym, and I'm, I, me like a crazy lunatic, I decide to start working out back there with him and another guy, and, and i never forget the owner of the gym's like, man, there's so much noise going on back here, and, you know, Terry was doing deadlifts, and he's like yeah, lifting right. every available piece of equipment that was in there, <laughs> machine on top of it, and uh. I was like, oh, my God, I, I went back to the apartment, and he was like, Dude, you look like you got run over. I'm like, I, I did, man. I'm like, <laughs> put my foot in my mouth, and, uh, and here's what I got for it. So, uh, but anyway, so uh, you know, let's tell the folks a little bit. You know, you you leave football, you're finished with football, and then you get into TV. You know, yeah. the, you know, you had all those uh, that run long run there, ESPN and uh, Saturday mornings and NFL uh, Live and. You know, I guess with Jaws and Sal Powell, right? What was that like? Yeah, well, let me just tell you this, that, you know, I worked at ESPN for a little over 21 years, and um, it was, you know, I could argue that at the beginning of my career there, it, it kind of saved my life in a sense um, yeah. because the way that my career ended, my career ended, my, you know, people all the time go, oh, concussion ended your career. No, it did not. I go had a concussion in my career. I would never play it after the Monday night game when I sustained my first one. Yeah, Impro improper care of that concussion ended my career. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I got cleared over the phone five days later to return to play after answering one question: "How do you feel?" Even though I had a split in the headache, I didn't feel very good. I said I felt fine because I didn't know that those were symptoms. And you got to use the what you what what you knew at that time. Meaning in 1994. Players didn't know a lot of what they should be telling um, doctors um, because doctors weren't telling you what the what kind of symptoms to share. Um, and a, a headache. Shoot, I've had a headache before. I mean, is that going to stop me from practicing, you know? But anyway, that improper care. But even in 1994, to get cleared over the phone is very, very archaic. I mean, that never happened, especially in the NFL. I mean, 
keep in mind, cognitive testing was started in 1991 with the Steelers, and I had a baseline, but I was with the Bears, and they just weren't as advanced as the Steelers were at that time. But nonetheless, my career ended. I sustained another um, concussion about five weeks later. I went, in, I went into cardiac arrest, was intensive care for several days. Um, and then I just I had a rehab, uh, a cognitive rehab. I couldn't even, I, I couldn't read, um, shoot to balance a checkbook. Shoot, I just couldn't function. I couldn't yeah. leave that, leave the house. In fact, I tell people the story all the time. The person that saved me was my two-year-old daughter because she was the only one who was patient enough to deal with me. Meaning like I could sit and I, I laugh at this now, but it's kind of scary. I mean, I would sit and watch Barney with her and I enjoyed it. I was enjoying Barney and she loved that because who, what adult's going to sit down and watch Barney with their two-year-old kid for hours? Nobody. I, yeah. but that, that's where I was in my, in my cognitive space. Um, I had to learn how to read again. You know, I went through depression. There was a, I mean, I had a, a litany of, of issues, but what I'm getting to is ESPN gave me a chance. I should actually back up. It's really ESPN and the Steelers. Mr. Rooney called me and I was, I was the first player ever to be in the broadcast booth. You know, Tunch Ilkin does it now, but Tunch Ilkin replaced me. I was there before Tunch. But what I'm getting at is it challenged me cognitively. I had to start learning different things. And some of the things I had to learn were ways I learned best, which I like watching tape because I'm a visual guy. I'm not a reader. Like reading, I've always been a straw. I had a, dis I had a reading disability when I was in high and in grade school that I had to work through. So that's never been a strength of mine. And I, it's hard for me to learn that way. I'm a visual guy. So these visual projects from, you know, watching tape and getting ready to play and present and stuff. And I present on things on TV was very, that was a challenge. That was arduous because you get all this information and you have to condense it into 45 seconds. But you also have to be listening to the dialogue going on, and there's a lot of traffic in television, and that was overwhelming for me. Now, we, we taped a lot of our shows, which thank goodness we did initially, because I made so many mistakes. We had to restart over. I can't even tell you how many times. The people that were behind the cameras and the set at that time, they were losing their mind. Because, um, in fact, we came up with, we, we came up with a, what we call redneck uh, um, um, teleprompting. I started hanging a few words under each camera to help yeah. me stay, stay on track. We didn't have teleprompters um, to stay on target with what I was saying. And I would never be able to listen to what like Jaws was saying or Mark Malone because I had to focus on what I was saying. But again, as those exercises helped me to regain my cognitive strength and cognitive ability. Now today we have, they have cognitive yeah. training and physical rehab and cognitive rehab that allows players to recover it rapidly. I mean, my son experienced it. You know, he actually, he doesn't get a head, his head trauma is not even in football. It's actually slipping in a shower. So, you know, leaving, that's why people get so confused about head trauma. They think it's just in sports and then they think it's just football. The leading cause of head trauma in the entire country is tripping and falling. Everybody's eligible. The most dangerous part of your home could be the shower. If you slip in the shower, tripping on the stairs, especially in the winter we just had and the climates that had a lot of snow and ice falling. So tripping mm -hmm. and falling is the leading cause of head trauma. It is not sports. And then it's objects when you get hit in the head and car accidents. Then when you get to sports, 
football is not even the, the leading cause of head trauma. When you think of incident rates and you do the numbers right, not just the numerator, but you add the denominator, the incident rates, football is, is very low. So it gets the focus. However, head trauma can happen anywhere. So it's good to know or pe for people to know that the care and treatment for head trauma is significantly improved. Um, there's a, a website, my um, rethinkconcussion.com. I think that is a great website for people to get resources because, like I said, head trauma can happen anywhere. And people are struggling with symptoms after having head trauma, and they think it's doom and gloom, and they think it's going to translate to uh, some mental disease or some uh, brain disease, and that is not true. There's no scientific evidence that says that whatsoever. And don't let people like Boston University lie to you and tell you something about the science that uh, their own science doesn't even say. They actually contradict their science. But we should be empowered by the treatment and care that you can find for head trauma if it were to happen. And um, so, so many people, parents are taking their kids out of sports because of fear of it. But meanwhile, the greatest danger is right in their home. I mean, yeah. it could happen. It could happen in the backyard. It can happen. And kids, I mean, my, um, my daughter has four kids. And I just got a picture of my daughter, my granddaughter, three years old, who hit her head on the on the table when they were playing big old gash i mean so and i think this probably happened to every kid you know clearly it happened to me so anyway knowing things about head trauma care for tra uh, head trauma treatment that we have i think is just um so important but you know the, with this out espn and the steelers you know i don't know what happens to me if i don't have those opportunities because it it sure gave me a purpose because i'd lost that and that right there i think everybody that will watch or hear this uh, big daddy could identify we just experienced everybody almost losing their purpose for a period of time yeah. and i'm sure that everybody could tap into how would that feel if it was gone for good and you had to rebuild yourself you know that's not an easy process um, for a lot of people for for most people and i had to rebuild myself and that helped me you know mr rooney give me an opportunity espn give me an opportunity and then the experiences that i had are just um they're replaceable, you know, what they what they did. And I'm grateful for that opportunity and, and what I do now, I, I love and passionate about. I've rebuilt myself in a different way and, and I love and I was transitioning to speak anyway. I I love the platform to share my message. Um it's not so I can tell people about what happened to me. The goal mm. is to share with what is possible for you, what is truly possible for people when they use the tools that they have, which is the two greatest tools known to mankind is your mind and your spirit. When those things are used um, for your goal, your challenge or your circumstance, um, anything can happen in life and, you be, and you're more positive in the process and the journey. And as long as you can look in the mirror and go, I did my part, every aspect of a circumstance, a goal or a dream, I mean, you should have peace with that. You know, it's when we don't do our part and we have regrets later in life. We're like, man, I wish I woulda. You know, you don't want to have a I wish I woulda. Um, and that's and that's the that's the power that every person possesses. That you have your control of you are one hundred percent control of you, mm -hmm. and use the tools that you have to apply to whatever circumstance you're dealing with or goal or dream you're trying to achieve. So you got a nickname at uh, you had at ESPN, and uh, I, I didn't know about it, but uh, short tie aficionado. What was that? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, big guy, I, this, I, was, okay. I was laughing. This is this is um, 
now this is this is how this all happens now my ties all go just above my belt all of them yeah every even now my tie is much bigger than most i've been tying that since i was a kid passing sacrament at church i learned how to tie it one way that's how i've always done it that being said one show we had at nfl live i remember i was doing it with Susie colbert Susie and uh mike gullick and it is the only time in 20 some years that this ever happens on nfl live we just spontaneously decide we're going to do a segment outside on the grass and it's the new because the new facility was built and we were going to do this grass and we thought it would be nice to go out there and do a segment okay that day is the only day that I just had a, I actually had a tie that was shorter than every other tie that I ever, that I had that I own, and to tie it correctly, it came to about here, you know, about halfway down my chest. The only time I ever do it, we get out there, we decide we're gonna take our jackets off. I was like, okay, no, I take off my. Everybody's like, oh, look, I shut your tie. It's like, well, it's the only time ever it's been that short. But <laughs> they had a photographer there that day. They take a bunch of pictures. And so that's the picture that like, everybody sees. <laughs> they think my tie under my suit is that short. It's not that short. It's um, It was the only time ever that my tie was like that. But that's how it got branded. It's just like yeah. that's how the, the ties look because, you know, I always had a jacket on, so people thought it was that short. But none of my ties are that short. It was the only one ever in 20-plus years I did. And we no, took a picture, no. and that's what that, that's what lives forever. Oh, that that's uh, funny. I, I was like laughing when I was, uh, you know, talking about that to somebody, and uh, I was like, "Oh wow, I can't wait to hear Merrill's response to this." Because I've always been now with everything that we got going on, no one wears ties. You know, everybody suit with no tie, which I I love. But uh, so anyway, uh, and you know, look, we everyone has their ups and downs, and you know, it's funny how you talk about the. Uh, you know, being uh, disabled, so to speak, for TV when you first start out. You know, here, um, and some of the viewers know this and listeners know this and some don't. Um, you know, I survived a brain aneurysm in 2008, and I had some uh, hearing loss. So uh, I'm on the set of Fox and Friends from the Super Bowl, and I'm with our boy, uh, Brian Kilmeade, and we're talking, and they mic us up, but they give us each an earplug, you know, an earpiece. And uh, I have the one in my good ear and the one in my bad ear. And Brian's talking to me into my bad ear one, the, the bad ear side. I almost had a panic attack because I did not hear one word he said. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, well, you know. And I'm like saying to myself, oh, my Lord, I can't wait to... I, I have to see this uh, a, a, a copy of this because who knows what he asked me and how I responded was so so I always had to be uh, you know going forward never have this ear with a uh, earpiece in it and uh, and and go listen as best as I can with the other one and I didn't know anything this is when I first started so it's just like here you go big daddy I get handed a mic and. I'm running around, you know, Dallas or Houston, wherever we were. Hey, what are you doing with a mic, Big Daddy? You know, because you're going up to guys like you and Goose and, you know, whoever's at an event, and they're just shocked to see you. Fox and Friends, what? 
I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm a little side gig I got, and uh, and now I've gotten to really enjoy it and embrace it, and I learn more and more, and I've watched every one of you guys from A to Z on all different aspects of uh, being on TV and interviewing and giving per- uh, perspectives and on all those things. So it's been uh, it's been, a, and then the guy got into this part of the world with podcasts and. And live streaming and everything, so it's uh, I've expanded my horizons. You know, I've I've come a long way from being uh, Neil O'Donnell's valet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to OD in a second. You know, um, <laughs> you, you, you hit some you hit some interesting um, points, Big Daddy, because um, you know I think in everybody's craft, um, and that's what you know when I speak, I talk about these type of things. You know, and. And trying to be uncommon. Chuck Noll always challenges to be uncommon, not common. Everybody can be common. That is somebody who does the minimum. Mm-hmm. I want you to be uncommon. That's somebody that'll do the maximum. So within everybody's craft, there's there's ways to widen your scope and learn how to be better and do better. So when I got into you know into broadcasting, they didn't give you a teaching tool. You know, the CSPN didn't hire somebody to help you on television, you know, it was on you. It was like, I give you a two year deal, you sink or swim. And, um, and so what I did, I got, I got very lucky that I had two great producers. I had Greg Cosell at NFL films, our matchup show and Jerry Madelon at ESPN. Both those guys were instrumental at challenging me and helping me. And Jerry Madelon was very good at seeing where my strengths were and and seeing moments off camera and he's like okay i need that on camera so he would challenge me and get me to see those things but a guy that um jaws was a great um instrument he was instrumental for me because i knew this about i better never sit on a set and not be prepared with that dude i mean the first time i ever did a show i'm like and he helped me get ready for the show because i only had like 24 hours to get ready for it which takes about four days to get ready for that matchup show and um, I remember walking off the set going, hey, he was the most genuine, friendly. I mean, he's, he's my one of my dearest friends to this day. But I'm like, I will never get on a set with that guy and not be ready and prepared. <laughs> and in 20 plus years, I was always ready when I got on that set. But he taught me that. He was prepared. I mean, that guy was prepared with every aspect of every team, which I admired. And it, it was an arduous uh, challenge to get ready like that and learn to the level that uh, he was capable of. But Stuart Scott, I remember we Stuart when Stuart first came to ESPN, we became really good friends. He hosted our matchup show, so we traveled a lot together. And so one day I was just asking him, you know, about, you know, um, so how he thought about TV cameras and TVs and shows. And he's like, Merrill, here's here's how I look at things, and this really helped me. Um, this and one other thing that I'll share with you, and then I'll be done. He's like, when that camera is on me. It is my show. It is my time. And I'm like, but you know, just, I just think of that power and authority that he did. And then I would watch my tail. I think that's how he was. But when that camera hit him, he was like, that's my time. That's my time to show. And that is my time. And I go, you got to do it in the, in the you got to do it in the framework of television. He goes, but that's your time. He goes, take it. And then Jerry Madelon shared something with me that I wrote down for years that ended up being one of the most powerful things I ever did in television is be bold and dynamic. Now you cannot be bold and dynamic if you are not prepared. So there's a, a, the whole process that goes with that, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Um, for me, anyway, being bold and dynamic, I can be bold and dynamic as long as I'm prepared. Now, I am not equipped. I'm not the person that can be bold and dynamic and throw garbage against the, the wall. Now, some people can. You know, I mean, they just throw garbage against the wall. There's no facts behind it. There's really no evidence and it's wrong, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But being bold and dynamic, Stuart Scott and his uh, how he helped me with television and how to approach a camera and how to look at things was helpful. And Jaws, I mean, I had great mentors, uh, great Cosell, Mark Malone. I mean, just, you know, fabulous people that were, uh, that helped me craft, you know, um, when I first started and uh, still use it to this day and uh, have helped mold me um, in the process. So now here's a big, uh, now we'll, we'll talk football real quick. You know, the uh, Steelers, what do you think, uh, what's their quarterback situation? What do you think about that right now? Well, this, uh, like Ben's going to come back. So there's, that, that's your answer for another year. Now, one thing I think people need to remember, um, Big Dad, I'm sure you've been hurt before. Um, when you have an injury, especially the magnitude that Ben did, it takes you almost an entire year of a rehab and to have played yeah. to fully to fully recover. I don't think there's any question. I don't know this for a fact. I mean, Ben and I are, are good friends. We talk all the time. I don't get it. I don't wear him out about football. I ask him how he's feeling, but I'm not talking to him like this about it. But I've had injuries like this, so I have experience with it. That it takes you almost an entire year of actual play to fully recover. Yeah. I don't think there's any question that his arm possibly could have got tired towards the end of the year just because of the injury, the um, the lack of mobility he had for a period of time, you know, all the atrophy that goes on and all the re- all the buildup you have to do in the rehab process, and then you have to complete a season. My point is I believe he'll be better next year. Physically, mm-hmm. he'll be better next year because he weathered that entire year without re-injuring it, strengthened it. But now the proper rehab has been done, and now I think that he will be in a much better state physically, um, especially with his arm, which is which is critical. So now that being said, that 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 gives you a chance just because you have number seven. But they've had a lot of issues with offensive line, really eroded bad. You know, they they didn't really have a back that could really that really stood up to handling. Um, first and second down and third down. They just they didn't have anybody that was consistent. They needed a good back. They need a back. Um, they changed that. They improved that area um, with their with their team, their offensive line, the core of it, um, and get a runner that they can trust and have, you know, hand the ball and be a thumper for 20, 22 carries a game, which mm-hmm. they don't have. They have that. That changes the whole dynamic, not of their offense, but of their team. Because in the NFL, the one thing that is, I'm going to tell you this, I've had this discussion with Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, Bill Parcells, um, um, oh, golly, I'm trying to think of um, Bill Polian. There we go. The most important aspect in the National Football League, it's, more, it's different than college, it's different than high school and any other level of football. The most important aspect of winning on a consistent basis is controlling the tempo. You must control the environment in the NFL just because everything is so equal and there's so many things that match up equal. You have to control the tempo of the game. And that's why people always talk about, you know, got to run the ball, got to stop the run. Well, that the reason for that is if I can run the football, I become the dictator. I control mm-hmm. what you are doing defensively. I can almost force you into doing certain things 
that allows a much easier play calling for me. Once I do that, that defense, instead of playing 65 snaps, they play about 50 snaps. They are a lot better defense when they're on the sideline. And that just helps the environment of your team when on a consistent basis. So, and that will never change in the NFL. You know, people say passing league. It's a much more sophisticated passing league. But the running game is still a critical component if you're going to win a championship. You can look at the history of Super Bowls, and that has always been a major factor. There's only one team I can think of in 50-plus years that got away with it and ended up winning. It was the Rams that one year. Mm-hmm. The one year they beat the Titans. And, and then they barely won. Yeah. It was like they blew the Titans out. They barely won that game. Mm-hmm. When you lose that aspect and you don't have that phase to your team, it's just it's a difficult – it's difficult to win, and that really showed up towards the end of the year. Um, so I don't think there's any question that has to get better. And they did a little help in their secondary linebacker depth um, will help. But I just think that those are kind of some areas that they they will address. They've already started to address, um, and we'll have to get better formed um, to be to be even considered to you know win a championship next year. So you've been following this drive. What's your out? You know, what's your take on? Let's just say the top five picks. You know, well, you know, I think you know the one that probably will resonate. You know, in your area is is the Jets pick. You know, now, yeah. um, now Zach, Zach Wilson actually, um, my son Bo played at BYU and was a quarterback at BYU. Zach came in and was behind Bo at BYU. He lived with Bo, so oh, I've known wow. Zach. I've known Zach for. I've known Zach. I've watched Zach when he was in high school. And I remember first, well, I remember watching him in high school. I was remember, I can't believe this kid wasn't recruited more than he was recruited. And that's kind of how his skill set stood out to me. Um, I think he has a chance to be fabulous. I really do. Um, there is there is a there's nobody's I mean, there's very few Peyton Mannings that walk out and you know that are coming out that go, like, listen, that's that's a sure deal, but there's still Peyton Manning couldn't throw the ball outside the numbers when he first got in the NFL. Now that, that was just a strength thing. He had to become better at that, and which he did, obviously. Um, Zach in his career has always struggled in games and with teams that were equal to BYU. You know, you look at the Utah games, the Hawaii games, the Washington game, the Toledo game. Now everybody pointed last year's season to the Coastal Carolina game. Well, that was the only team that was even relatively close to BYU and ended up beating them. All the other teams honestly were inferior, inferior by a mile. You know, it isn't mm-hmm. like – so people talk about his drastic improvement. I don't want to minimize because the kid works. The one thing I want to make very clear, this kid is passionate about football, which you must have. Like you want that in your player. You like – no matter what your position, they got to love it. Okay, he loves it. They're right there gives you – you have to battle over because he loves it. He's gonna work. Is he coachable? There's no. You know, people say people outside. Oh, he. You know, he's he's arrogant. Now, Zach will come off with a certain attitude, but the attitude that Zach has, quite honestly, I want in my quarterback. He, Big Dad, how would you like a quarterback stepping in the hole, going, "Okay, guys. Okay, here's what we're gonna try. Uh, uh, Red dot nine seventy two. Or do you want? Okay, get in here. Huddle up. You know, Zach. Big Daddy, look, well, here's what we're doing. I mean, somebody who's in charge. Yeah. I mean, that's how he is. He's, he's, he's always respectful, okay? So somebody who's confident, 
you know, and respectful. I got no problem with that. Some people talk, think that's offensive, you know, and they're, and they're cocky. He's not. Um, um, but going to the games that uh, in his first year, all the Utah games, his second year and even his third year, you know, he, he just made some – he did some things in those games that only somebody – this is what the NFL has an advantage, the Jets will have an advantage. They'll sit down with Zach. And if you don't do this, actually you're making a mistake. You want to ask him what happened in these games and these moments. Because at the end of the game, he made some bad choices. Threw a lot of picks, pick sixes. I mean, they are not like – I mean, they were in completions. There were some bad, really bad decisions. was it one. There's a history of it, you know, for three years. So you'd want to walk through those games and go, hey, what was going on here? Now, the explanation that the kid's going to give you is going to make you feel comfortable or going to put a red flag up. You know, yeah. and those things only a team will know. You know, but you have to address that. But that's really his only major real issue is those big games, those big moments. He, he didn't perform like like you'd like him to, but he has an incredible skill set. He is as accurate a player. Now everybody gets on this these acrobatic Patrick Mahomes throws. I'm like, okay, time out. What you drafted him for? I don't think the Jets are going to be – Jet fans are going to be all cool in the gang and happy that he's out there throwing acrobatic throws and completing balls all over the place, and you're not winning. The bottom line is you got to win. And we know that everybody – every fan in football knows you have to win. Can you win? And so that's why those things, those red flags exist, because when they had to win, he made some bad choices, and it was a history. It wasn't just one game. I mean, there's like half a dozen to eight games that were critical games. Utah games were like, wow. And he had done so many great things up to that. So it's it would just be something you have to address. But I don't think there's any doubt the Jets draft him. And I do believe, that being said, those things are probably coachable and mm -hmm. transitionable, meaning, you know, to learn from them and try not to make them at the next level. Um, so, and I think it's always – where uh, how you play not where you play because people will say oh he doesn't play it big time yeah neither did um um khalil mack i remember people going oh he plays in buffalo i'm gonna say like this khalil mack was the greatest football player defensively i've ever seen coming out of college football studying the greatest football player from feet hips to hands i never see anybody play he could play defensive and outside linebacker and inside linebacker too and have been an all pro never seen it Irrelevant that he played at Buffalo. Now, with with Zach, it, it, you know, it does matter in a sense, a little bit. Like, the people he threw, I mean, the defenses he played this year, I mean, honestly, the people were so wide open. He would stand back there for three and four seconds. Okay, that is not going to happen. That yeah. is unrealistic in the NFL. So, going back to the problems that I, I, I said that he kind of showed up, when he does have to play a little quicker and there is more traffic, you know, he wasn't quite the same player. Which, listen, no, no player is the more traffic you are. But at the end of the day, you have to become efficient in that arena in the NFL. So that will be, the, I think, his biggest hurdle that he has to overcome or develop and get better at. But he clearly has the skill set to do it. He has the mindset to do it. And... um and I'm excited for him, and the, and, and finally the Jets, because I know so many Jet fans that are, are dying for you know, you know, for finally something you know good to come their way, and, and this might be the kid that does it. Well, all you Jet fans, you just got the professional 
analytical take on your future quarterback. Um, and uh, that's exciting to hear. And obviously it means a lot when it comes from a, a guy like you, Merrill, because you're, you're, you know, it's, you're a chef that's in the kitchen. You know, you always get these guys that give their opinion on how to do this, do this, do this. But there's their 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 feet aren't in the sand, so to speak. You know, well, the wrong you know, decision maker. Yeah, well, Big Daddy, I mean, you're right. Listen, I I'll be I'd be honest with you. If I didn't have that machine that's sitting on the other side of that camera there, where I could watch coaching tape, I could watch every throw of Zach's. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd tell you that. I'd like, I listen, I saw him, I've been, I've been there live with him. I know him personally. He lived with my son, so I can tell you the kind of kid he is. He's a super kid. He's a respectful kid. But, you know, and I've watched him throw. I know that he, and he, and he plays the position pretty. But, you know, see, that's not a skill set either. That gets caught up. Oh, it looks so good. Well, that, that's irrelevant. Okay. But he is accurate. Um, he makes good decisions, but when you look at, how wide open and easy it was, it would be easy to make decisions. So that's why you got to go back to those games where it wasn't, the traffic wasn't as clear and the decisions weren't as good. That's more what you're going to see in the NFL. But I still believe he has the work ethic and the type of coaching he will get. He will work through that. And I do believe the kid has a moxie about him that um, he'll be okay in the environment of New York. This is going to be a setback no matter what, where you come yeah. from in college football. When you go to New York, it just – it is. But he'll, he'll learn to adjust to that and adapt to it. And, I, you know, I get excited for the, for the Jets. And, and, you know, I love what they're doing. Too. I love their coaching staff, and I love what they're doing. There couldn't be a better system that Zach's going to walk into. They're going to – I mean, they're going to – I think the best way to throw the football in all of the ways we can throw the football in the NFL – is run action. Now, a lot of uh, most announcers always say it's play action, play action. Okay, you hear play action on everything. Play, they, there's three phases there's play action, there's run action, and RPO action. Mm-hmm. Well, play action is when a quarterback and a running back, and maybe even a receiver, does a reverse off the back end, but they do some type of action in the backfield, then they throw it versus the quarterback is dropping back. Run action is when the offensive line is coming off the ball. Um, the runner is coming downhill, and they're faking hard like it is run. And the entire box is collapsing because they think it's run, and then they throw off it. That is run action. 49ers do that as good or better than anybody in football. That's the foundation of how they throw the football. Now, there's the RPO, too, where the quarterback has a, the option to you know run or pass based on what the defense does. Again, that's hard run action. And people go, well, the offensive line, you know, they don't know. I go, it's irrelevant with the offensive line. <laughs> the play in the the call the play in the huddle in an RPO is it is a run or a pass. Offensive mm-hmm. line, you run block. You don't have to read anything. You're run blocking. I as the quarterback have to get rid of the football before you get downfield. Okay, that's mm-hmm. why it's got to be quick. The the Jets, I mean the Chiefs do this very well. Now they're more of a vertical RPO. You know, they take shots down the field. But what I'm getting at, the system, that's what the Jet system is gonna be. And that could not be a better system for a quarterback and to have that you know and if they get a runner in this draft which they have a chance to and there's just some good ones and they will be there you know um and they're off the line listening that that's got to be addressed significantly too you know you these guys cannot make make things happen unless what unless what up front unless up front is great and they were not very good there and they have to get much better there and that might take a couple years before they get there but the system in itself 
I think helps Zach transition much better than um, something where we're wide open and you're putting a lot of pressure on the quarterback and it's four and five wides all the time and you got to read things and dissect things and be and it can be more confusing and complicated. It'll be very simplified for him and give him a chance, I think, really to develop and, and help the Jets win. So now let's flip let's uh, flip uh, sides here real quick. You know we uh, you mentioned that a little bit earlier. Uh, motivational speaking, I know that that's a big thing for you. Uh, you enjoy it. You know you're you by listening to you, you're motivating me. You know it's uh, you 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 know how to bring it out in people, and I can tell that by listening to even though you're not really uh, expressing like a motivational message, your message is coming out. And I'm taking it all in. So get into that a little bit. Well, you know, Big Daddy, I uh, I got challenged when I, I was diagnosed with cancer, dang, almost 20 years ago. Uh, and I yeah, say yeah. 20, I, I say 20 years ago um, because it just makes, it gives us, I have a perspective of all that I would have missed. You know, mm -hmm. I just mentioned Stuart Scott and the thing that connected us was we love being dads. So we talk a lot about being dads really more than even television. And, you know, when, when he passed away, um, I always reflect now, you know, the things that he's missing right now with his daughters that I don't miss with my kids. Um, and so even when I have an opportunity to speak, which, um, which, which really drives me, that opportunity I always reflect on, you know, I, I'd have missed this opportunity. But I got the challenge, actually. I was sitting in a chemo, my chemotherapy chair. It was my, it was my last treatment, actually. And a good friend of mine hired a film crew to film the day because I told him I'd get up. I, you know, after I got done with treatment, because treatment will last about 10 hours, is I'd go work out or I'd play in my basketball league, depending on if we had a game. And he's like, you work out after? And I was like, I could Charlie had to save my life. I go, had I not been working out prior to, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But I've been investing in my health my entire life, and I'm using that to beat this battle. So he hires a film crew. Um, and really documents the date. Now, I thought he was hiring the film crew so that we could really get some footage if I don't make it. Because at this point, we still don't know if it's going to work. And my doctor had told me off the very beginning, he's like, listen, I can't guarantee this is going to work. And that was gut-wrenching. I had a three-pound tumor in my lower back. You know, they just didn't know if it was going to be able to be. It was malignant. Uh, you know, I had stage three and... You know, I had, a, I had a huge battle ahead of me. Um, now, that being said, so I thought we were using that day. Yeah, we're using it to reflect. Uh, it was more based on my kids. So yeah, he asked me a lot of questions about my kids, and we were just talking. And I shared with him how Find A Way came, came into my life. It was, was when I wrote a goal up, and I put it up in my bedroom wall that I will play in the National Football League. And it was that moment of truth in life. We all have them where I'm looking at that goal and I'm thinking of everything everybody said to me, you know, like everybody say, in fact, this is why I see things through a child's eye, most of most adults, because of what happened to me as a kid, the people that were supposed to encourage me were the first ones to discourage me. They say, Oh, you know how hard that is. You know what the odds are of you playing in the NFL. Oh, don't put all your eggs in one basket, son. Oh, that's impossible. Well, I was looking at that goal. I will play in the NFL and I start thinking about all that stuff. And I remember my energy just like exhausting. I mean, being gone, mm -hmm. I will play in the NFL was just words on a wall. And then the words find a way like popped into my head, big daddy. It was like, and it, it gave me an energy. It inspired one thing 
that I still use today. It, it sits over on my wall right there. I've just included every day because of Walter Payton. Find a way every day. It inspired action. I got energized about get, doing something about my circumstance. Okay, now I was in control. So um, I, I use a lot of these messages and experiences. I share them with people, not just because I heard them, read them, saw them, or somebody told me about them. I share them because I lived them. But I share them more importantly because I know what's possible now. I know what's possible for you or anybody listening or watching your show, what is truly possible when you use your mind and your spirit for you versus against you. Because even no matter goal, no matter what goal, dream, circumstance, challenge you might have, your mind is immediately engaged. There's a thought process going on, okay? So that's why I asked, do you control your mind or does your mind control you? Well, if we learn how to control our mind, I did that very first exercise at age 12. What happened when I put that goal up? I will play in the National Football League. My mind was controlling me. My mind's telling me everything everybody has said to me and what's it doing for me? Zapping my energy. Well, that's when the words find a way change that energy. I now was in charge. And it was the first time I transitioned to I controlled my mind. I was going to find ways to win. I was going to find ways to be successful at that. So I, I sensed me on a journey. I mean, that's where I discover a quote by Aristotle that really becomes the footer of my footer of the journey. But Walter Payton becoming such a significant impact in that journey indirectly in a videotape that I bought that I saw an interview with him that changed my whole journey to eventually meeting him and, and getting to be friends with him when I played in Chicago. So I share all of those things as how it helped mold me and help me control my mind. So the point when I get done is I'm hoping that people realize what's possible for them. You are in control. You are responsible. If you control your mind, all the things that you can do to change your circumstances or live your dreams is truly, um, in your hands if you use them that way and so at the end um to be able to share that with people and getting unsolicited responses at the end where it's not about me it's about what if i if a person what i'm ultimately goal is is when i'm done they think about themselves they're thinking about what how they can do things to better their chance or their circumstance or go after their dream or goal when i hear that from people i've done my job that they're starting to look at themselves and go, yes, I, I start looking at this. I can do this. And I, that's what it's about. That's what moves me. Um, and that's why I'm grateful for, you know, every time I have an opportunity to speak and what we just went through last year and that completely went away. So I understand losing your purpose again in, in your life. And I, so it's coming back now and I knew it would, would come back and you hold hope to that. But I truly identify with people that have been like, lost their purpose, you know, and trying to find ways to get it back and maybe don't have that chance to go to that same purpose and been there too. So, you know, hopefully that message or message at times can help them give them a spark they need because I'm a product of a lot of people that you'd be um, one of those guys is even though we bust our boys chops, Neil Donald, he's one of those guys, mm -hmm. you know, life, I tell people all the time, Football is the greatest team sport I ever played, but life is the greatest team game. And individually, we're strong, but collectively, we're powerful. I've learned stuff from you. I heard stuff today. I didn't know you had an aneurysm, okay? 
you know, I, I, I had no idea that that took place. Now, that's sometimes when you, you lose connection with people, but that's why the connection is good. doesn't matter that we haven't talked to each other for a long time. That's how relationships are sometimes, but we can pick up right where we left off. But not knowing that, you know, that, you know, you're like, shoot, I mean, to stand that is is something. I mean, that's an incredible journey. I mean, that um, I would love to know more about and hear more about and grateful that you, you got through it. But um, people are important um, and the journey is important and having people to support and help us is vital without them. I really don't have much to share, but so many people, so, so many people who have impacted me, I feel like I have a lot to share that hopefully could help somebody and they could apply to their life any way they see fit. That's why, you know, um, when I knew that I had the, the brain uh, aneurysm and all that, you know, I, I, I the doc, the one thing it didn't really hit me until the doctor said to me, Hey, we have some forms we have to fill out. And, you know, there are waivers, you know, if you don't wake up, if you don't uh, survive and whatever. And I was like, you know what? I can honestly say this because, uh, and I could say this with a smile. Had it been my time to go, I could not leave upset or be angry because I've done some of the most amazing things on this planet that most people will never ever do. So I looked at it, okay, if that's it, that's it. If not, then it's not my time to go. So what am I gonna do about it? So then, you know, uh, now you're aware of this, you know, I've put on the Big Daddy Celebrity Golf Classic, which is coming back after a four year hiatus. And I know you're gonna be a guest. So it was like, all right, let me just ask all my friends that are all name worthy and high places and are charitable and giving, let's put something on that we raise money, you know, and obviously I've had a lot of success with it. Everyone's excited. It's coming back and we've got a who's who of people coming. And so that kind of a, a setback like that is what led me to say, okay, let me put something on and let's do something about it. And then my youngest brother, I don't know if you know this, Merrill, he's a defensive backs coach for the Bills. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, he's a DB coach up there in Buffalo. And, uh, you know, him and I wanted to give back to our hometown, so we uh, started the Big Daddy Youth Football Camp. And we bring guys in, and we bring, uh, you know, guys like Steve Spagnola come in, coaches, players, I mean, and that's to give back to our neighborhood. You that's know, great. And, and, and you know why? Because I'm fortunate to have friends like you. You know, we can ask for a favor and uh, say, hey, come in and, and the lessons that you can teach and give these kids that, you know, some of them won't go, on, go beyond high school football, you know. And uh, as long as they're able to see that they're heroes on TV and guys that have been in the trenches and, and uh, you know, they respect and look up to, that's a way to give back. So I think, uh, you know, the big joke has always been, uh, you know, I, I also had coronavirus, and uh, I was in the hospital for three days last March. And uh, I had been I had been interviewed by the Athletic, and the reporter Daniel Kaplan said to me, "So give me give me a point that you want to you want to share." I said, "Laugh," and I was laughing as I said it. I said, "Look, I survived the brain aneurysm. I survived divorce, and now I survived coronavirus." The good Lord's not ready to take me yet. <laughs> I have a job to do. <laughs> and 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 a goal, and I have to give back. 
And that's really my, uh, you know, my whole thing because I've been so fortunate from the days of obviously Pittsburgh. And, uh, and I'm going to share a real quick story before we go uh, in regards to you and I, uh, but that's really how I feel. And, and, and it's not about notoriety. It's not about this or that look, uh, you know, having a foundation and, and, a lot of people do all these things to help their family members and make money and all that. I don't take a nickel from any of it. You know, if there's money to be raised, it has to be used to uh, for the the goal that you're raising it for. You know, yeah. not for me to draw a salary or or have my family draw salaries or friends or none of that. None of those things happen, and and you know, it's about giving back. So I always cherish the uh, the opportunities, the relationships, and the friendships, but. One quick story, and I don't even know if you'll remember this. The first and only time that I've ever been to Youngstown, Ohio, I was with you. And uh, it's a small world, right? <laughs> we went out there for some country, mu- I-, I don't know, it had to do with country and boots. <laughs> but, you know, for some reason, you and I, I, I end up going out with you. So we drive from Pittsburgh. And we go to some signing thing, and it happened to be like at some country resting bar or restaurant or whatever. Well, one of the guys that was involved with that was a guy named Rick Blades, who owns a, a, a bunch of stores that sell cowboy boots. Well, I go out with you. We do all that. You know, you do your thing, blah, 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 and then we come back. Well, 25 years later, I'm at a Cleveland Browns game. And uh, a friend of mine introduces me to that same guy that brought you out to do the appearance. I mean, like, it was crazy because he's like, I know you, Big Daddy. I was like, how do you know me? (laughs) (laughs) You came out to Youngstown with Merle Hodge. I go, oh, my Lord. I go, I totally forgot about that. No, I'm uh, telling you, I, I did too. Tell you mentioned. I remember he gave me cowboy boots. He gave me boots. I mean, I, listen, I used to cowboy. I mean, that's why. Um, yeah. I remember that's why it the, it fit because I'm from the west. I used to cowboy. I I rodeoed for a while. I played football for a year to do yeah. it. And so that's crazy. That's yeah. funny, man. You want to talk about a small world? I mean, like yeah. I'm sitting there on the sideline during the, before the game chatting and we're talking about you and i'm like oh my god i go man i forgot about that it was uh that's was, funny. You know, my one and only time the youngstown ohio was with Merrill <laughs> <laughs> oh man but uh hey listen now we're going to give you a quick opportunity to take the mic from me and uh, ask me a question that you think you want to know or whatever well yeah well i'd say there was a couple things um you answered one with the aneurysm, I was, I was curious about that. But um, one I, I've never asked you that I've always wanted to know is how you and Neil Donald met. We were teammates at Maryland. and uh, Did you guys come in together? No, he was a year older than me. It was funny. He was a, he, a year eligibility-wise, he was a year older than me. But I came in uh, the spring after he had gotten there in the fall. And um, and then, you know, he was out there his rookie year, and we were talking, and he was like, he goes, what are you doing, man? I go, oh, not much. He goes, why don't you come out to Pittsburgh? And I was like, all right. So I came out. All of a sudden, I found myself coming back, and I uh, had a three-year, uh, three-year run in uh, living in Pittsburgh with him. 
And uh, it was, that's beautiful. You know, listen, uh, listen, I remember we would always go to your house. We got to go to Merrill's house. Why? Because, you know, we got to get a workout and then we got to sit in a sauna. <laughs> I was like, Neil, we can go to the gym. No, nah, let's go to Merrill's. <laughs> oh, so that's how that whole thing, uh, you know, and then we've been tied ever since. Uh, well, let me tell you this. That's, I mean, that, that's ha- having special relationships like that to me are are priceless. Honestly, they are absolutely priceless. Yeah, I mean, it's just incredible. But uh, well, listen, wow, we could probably be on for like three hours, but we can't. No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I got to say, hey, Merrill, man, thanks a lot for coming on, and uh, you know, let everyone know the viewers and listeners how they could find you. You know, on social media. Yeah. Yeah, I, pre- I do appreciate that, Big Daddy. And it's the, the simplest way is just to go to MerrillHodge.com. It's M-E-R-R-I-L-H-O-G-E. There's no D in Hodge, no two L's in Merrill, unfortunately. <laughs> MerrillHodge.com. And that really all the resources are there for everything. So uh, even my speaking uh, resources are there. So you can go there. And I appreciate that uh, opportunity to plug that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh We'll do this again, and uh, just remember, uh, everyone who wants to meet Merrill Hodge can come out to Long Island on June 28th, 29th, because he will be at the Big Daddy Celebrity Golf Classic. Hey, man, can't wait, Big Daddy. So, uh, okay now, Big Daddy and Merrill, we're going to both sign off from now from uh, Big Daddy and Friends. Until next time, we'll see everybody real soon. And once again, Hodge, thanks again, man. I love you, and I appreciate it. Love you too, big brother. 